Jeez, Harry. Can you guys hear me? Yep, that's coming through now, isn't it? Yeah, g'day. So I'm still not used to uh, staring out on a bunch of masked faces. And it's just unfair that people up the front get to rip their mask off, isn't it? But I did love singing with you. Um, at the point, we haven't started singing yet. We're, we're still waiting um, on all of that. So I love doing that. Um, if There's a few faces I don't recognise. I'm Steve. Um, from the Point Church up in Port Macquarie, uh, Sister Church of Salt. It's great to be amongst you. And it is a bit bizarre, isn't it? I mean, you guys are doing a series on love. I get to preach one of the, the passages on love, and then I'm just going to nick off. <laughs> I'm not going to hang around and love uh, with you. So my, my apology. I, I hate doing that, but the uh, point starts at 5 o'clock, and I've got to say that. Um, but what a chapter, yeah? Um, any of you on social media? Yeah, I've seen a few, few nods of the head. Um, have you ever read a post from a friend or a family member that upset you or maybe even angered you? Somebody said yes, that's good. Uh, you, um, Matt's upset his friends and family a few times. Um, uh, now, as you've sort of read a post from somebody else, a, a friend, you know, we're not talking about those that are out there like Matt. Um, as you've read one of those posts and angered you, have you thought about what's actually going on inside you at that moment? I've been surprised how quickly I can arc up reading a post or a comment to a post from a friend. But we happen to really disagree over some serious issues. When I hear 1 Corinthians 13 read as uh, Harry was reading it, I'm sure Jesus meant that except when you're on social media. Seems like a hard platform at the moment. Have you noticed the age of rage that is around at the moment? And we're called to love. 1 Corinthians 13, it's commonly known as the wedding chapter. It's read at Christian weddings and non-Christian weddings alike. And for good reason. It is a high point of literature when it comes to love. What a wonderful description of love. Now, this chapter is read at so many weddings. Some Christians are a little surprised to know that the original context was not a wedding. Uh, if anything, the original context was the Apostle Paul giving a love beatdown, I call it, on arrogant Christians. In particular, for their arrogance over spiritual gifts. And so the first thing we're going to do, if you look at your notes, is the first heading is uh, love eats gifts for breakfast. Love eats gifts for breakfast. Then we're going to ask the question, do you know love? Often I've read 1 Corinthians 13 and the pressure I feel is to think, do I love? I think the big, big question for us is, do you know love? And as we ask that question, we're going to see that we all fail at loving. And so we need to come back and get a good gospel reminder that we are fully known by God. And that is wonderful. And so that's where we're headed this afternoon. Love eats gifts for breakfast. Uh, do you know love and fully know? 
That's where we're headed. Hope you got your Bible open, and we're looking at the first uh, love eats gifts for breakfast. And if you do have a hard copy of your Bible, it's helpful. Go over to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and there's a heading in the Bible I'm using that says, Concerning Spiritual Gifts. Now, skim over to chapter 14. So we've jumped over chapter 13, we go to chapter 14, and the heading at the top of that one is Intelligibility in Worship. And when I read the first verse with you, it says, uh, this is chapter 14, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And so if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll probably know that chapter 12, chapter 14 are two key chapters in the Bible when it comes to describing spiritual gifts. And if we were doing a sermon series on 1 Corinthians, or if this was a series on gifts rather than love, we would hone in on spiritual gifts. Uh, but this is a sermon series on love, which is why Dave chose this chapter. It's a key, uh, chapter 13 is a key chapter on love. And the heading uh, in the NIV Bible that you guys use above chapter 13 is love is indispensable. And so to appreciate the chapter we're looking at tonight, we need to know the context. 1 Corinthians 13 is smack in the middle of teaching on spiritual gifts. Actually, a better way of saying that is, um, is smack in the middle of the Apostles Paul's teaching on the abuse of spiritual gifts. People were elevating certain gifts, elevating certain people with gifts above other gifts and above other people. Some people were so proud of their gift, they would exercise their gift over the top of somebody else's. It was Harry's reading the Bible, somebody would just jump up and start using their gift. And so this is a, a love beatdown. Chapter 13 is a love beatdown on the misuse of gifts, on the arrogance and the disorderly worship that was going on in the Corinthian church. And with that bit of context, come back now, chapter 12, verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And at this point, it sounds like what Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit gives every single one of God's children, Jesus' followers, for the building of the church. And so make sure you use your gift, just use it orderly, and especially desire the greater gifts. Now, then we read the next half of the verse. And yet... I will show you the most excellent way. Those words where I get, I guess the NIV gets that the heading uh, that they put on chapter 13, the heading for this sermon, love is indispensable. Uh, love eats gifts for breakfast. You see, what we're about to read is a scathing rebuke on the Corinthians' pride and misuse of gifts 
Gifts are dispensable. Love is indispensable. Love eats gifts for breakfast. Now we're ready for the chapter. Verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, oh, I'd love to do that. The gift of tongues, gift of angels, feel pretty chuffed, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, and if I'm honest, I think they're the gifts I, I like you know, as a preacher. I want to be able to preach God's word and God's knowledge and give that clearly and call God's people to great faith and that we move mountains. We want to see this whole church, see this whole region say, Amen, Amen, Amen. This is the gift I want. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, I do not have love. I gain nothing. Well, I reckon we're, we're all stung by either verse 1 or verse 2. If you're someone who gets excited about the more ecstatic gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, this verse says if you don't have love, you're just a clanging symbol. Some of us get more excited about the word gifts and preaching the word and being clear on the words of knowledge. But if we don't have love, you're nothing. Now, I take it in today's context, verse 1 is meant to be a wake-up call to charismatic churches, and, and verse 2 is meant to be a wake-up call to more reformed evangelical churches like Saul, like the point. Love eats gifts for breakfast, whatever gifts you happen to prioritize. And then, verse 3 gets us all. Verse 3, let, let verse 3 open you like a surgeon's scalpel. If, if I give all I possess to the poor, if I give my body over to hardship, the context there is actually, if I let my, like if, if I profess God as God to the point where it gets me burned on a stake, but I have love, I gain nothing. This uh, old fable highlights what's going on in that verse. Uh, long ago, there was a, a poor farmer, and in his crop grew the best carrot he'd ever seen in his life. It was big, it was juicy, it was the best carrot. And the next day, he booked a meeting in with the king, and he presented this carrot to the king. King, this is the finest carrot I've ever produced. I, I cannot think of any better use and for me to present it to you to express my love to you, my king. And the king received this carrot. He didn't particularly need a carrot. He's the king. He was chuffed and he immediately ordered the carrot farmer to receive twice the land he already had for his family. And there was a horse farmer that got wind of this. And he brought in his most noble stallion 
It was a fine horse and he presented it to the king. And the king looked at this best of best horses in all of the land. And then he looked at the horse farmer and said, you disgust me. Why? Without love, his gift was nothing. The poor carrot farmer presented his gift from love. He had love for the king. The horse farmer presented his gift because he wanted something from the king. He didn't give from love. He gained from a personal desire for gain. He gave for personal gain. Without love, his great gift was nothing. Verse 3 cuts all of us to the quick. Uh, how many of our good deeds are motivated by what we get? We, we operate transactionally. We love people for the love we expect to get in return. Love, real love, is other person-centered. Much of what masquerades as love is actually just transactional. I love you, I'm hoping that you'll love me in return. If I scratch your back, how can you scratch my back? And there's even that subtle form, isn't there? You, you might not have anything that could scratch my back, but I'm concerned about my reputation. Oh, that's Steve, he's really good at scratching backs. Brothers and sisters, love eats gifts for breakfast because gifts are dispensable but love is indispensable so to our second point do you know love and I hope you pick up why I put in the no just as we start reading these verses again from verse 4 I didn't, didn't put the heading do you love I put the heading do you know love Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Uh, here's what every pastor of marriage celebrant should say after those verses are read at the wedding to the bride and groom. Good luck living up to that. <laughs> we are supposed to be mowed down by these verses. They are deliberately confrontational. Verse 4 begins, love is patient. It does not say love seeks to be patient. These verses are telling us what love is. These verses paint a picture of love. If you like, love is personified in these verses. This is not a picture for us to aspire to. This is a picture for us to be confronted by, to be challenged by, to, to be judged by. Love is patient. Love is kind. Survey my family or workmates and you will discover there are many times 
where I've had to apologize for not being patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not proud. Have you ever been jealous of someone else's gifts? Have you ever felt superior to somebody else because of your gifts? Have you ever used the Christian uh, false humility one-liner? You, you know when you use your gift, maybe worship leading, reading the Bible, leading a Bible study, uh, sharing your testimony, a, a gift of kindness, an act of kindness to someone, and they go to thank you, and have you ever said, oh, no, 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 don't do that. It was all God. Here's the comeback to that. If it was all God, it would have been better. <laughs> Friends, we are supposed to be confronted by these verses. I mean, look, look at verse 5. It does not dishonor others. Oh, how easy is it to gossip about others when they hurt us? It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. These verses are supposed to confront and judge us. They're like the psychologist from the old sermon illustration. I don't know if you've heard it. I think it was from Billy Graham. Uh, but, but there was a, a man that just struggled with an inferiority complex. Any context he was in, family, work, wherever he was at, just struggled with an inferiority complex. He finally took himself to a psychologist and was explaining that every situation he felt inferior in. And this guy did a couple of sessions with him, even with the extra uh, mile to check out family. And then he came back finding him, give the diagnosis and said, I've got some good news and some bad news. Uh, the good news is you do not have an inferiority complex. <laughs> the bad news is you're just inferior. It was an illustration. I'm sure no psychologist has ever done that to a patient. Verse 13. Uh, chapter 13. One Corinthians. It's like the psychologist saying back to us, you do fail at this. It's like the mirror we look into and we see, I don't do that. I fail regularly. It's also like the mirror where we desperately see what we need. We need to be unconditionally loved. We see this love and we want this love and that is a right desire. Now why would God put, it, put such a torturous passage in the Bible? I mean we look into it and we see what we, we want, we want that love. But we also say we don't meet that love and match that love ourselves. But why would God put that in the Bible? Because there is someone we can turn to for that unconditional love. As a matter of fact, there is someone we must turn to for that unconditional love, otherwise we'll be ruined. We see this love, we want this love, 
This is uh, where we turn to fully known. Have a look at verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Love singing that second song with you, a reminder when Jesus comes back, we, we, we see him. Finally, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You and I have lists of things that we have done wrong that we don't want anyone in this room ever finding out about. We are frightened to be fully known. We think that if people really knew us, they wouldn't love us. But, and this is our great dilemma, we need to be loved. And loved as love is personified in the chapter on love. We want this love. But we need to be known by someone who is not easily angered. Who keeps no record of wrongs. Who always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Tell me. Do you know someone like that? You're allowed to say Jesus, you're allowed to say God. Let's think about God's love for a moment. When Jesus left heaven and entered our world as a man, do you think he was shocked when he discovered how sinful we are? As Jesus realised we were going to murder him, do you, mean, do you think he went, ooh, this didn't quite go as I thought it was going to? God sent his much-loved, perfect son to die. I think you did this in your very first sermon on the series. To die for his enemies. At the cross, Jesus was betrayed, he was denied, he was mistreated. And we know that Jesus could have called down a legion of angels to rescue him. But Jesus, compelled by love, deliberately went to the cross. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken of God's love so that you and I could receive God's love. That love, brothers and sisters, is a fully known love. We do not need to hide. God knows. Jesus died. God forgives. I spoke to Macca this week and he had a spark in his voice as he shared your excitement 
over this series of love that's happening at the moment. And Macca said there was a particular excitement around the one another love and, and bearing each other's burdens and getting into each other's lives with love and, and as Macca was sharing his excitement what you guys are feeling and doing I'm getting excited there's something exciting about a community of love and so here's my top tip pursue love with all you've got but only pursue after you have received don't simply read 1 Corinthians 13 and, and muscle up on patience and kindness and humility. First, allow yourself to be smashed by the personification of love. Run quickly to the person of love. Hear our Father say, I know you. I truly know you. Yes, I know all those things. That's why I sent Jesus to die. I know you. I forgive you. I love you. Start with the Father's love, which flows like a river that never runs dry. And as we drink in the Father's love, we will grow in our love. That's how the gospel works. God's unconditional love frees us to love unconditionally. We no longer need to love transactionally. We've got everything we need from the Father. So then we're free to love. I'm going to pray. Oh, Father. We're told many times in the Scriptures that you are love. And so we thank you for your love, your kindness, your patience, your perseverance, you've never given up. Because of Jesus, you completely forget our sins, they're washed away, they're wiped away. We are loved by the creator of heaven and earth. Father, I pray for anyone here this afternoon that does not know your love through Jesus Christ, would you by your spirit break through? Uh, for those of us who know your love, but perhaps we've grown a little distant, a little forgetful. Would this be a great reminder, Father, that you have loved us, not because of what we've done. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, thank you that this term, that then over and over and over in salt groups and here on Sundays, looking at what you have to say about love, would you grow a great love that they receive from you and then release them to go love each other in this community in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Love you guys.